Happy New Year, church. What a great way to start the year, to come together and to be in the house of the Lord together. And I pray that this year is just chocked full of the Lord's love and the Lord's blessings over you and your friends and your family and your work and all that you do in life. And uh, I want to sh- give a shout out to uh, everyone in St. John's and Alma, Mount Pleasant and online. Uh, it's wonderful to be together. I read an account recently of a Christian man who took a trip and traveled to China. And he did all of the normal things that you would do when you go to China. He uh, visited the Great Wall of China, went to Tiananmen Square, went to the Forbidden City, tried all the local cuisine, and was having a lovely time visiting that wonderful country. Now, I don't know where your imagination goes when you think of China. You think of the typical person who lives there, and what is their life like. It's a massive population. But I don't know if you know this, but China is an extraordinarily wealthy country in so many ways. It really is. Um, Today, there are over 530 billionaires who live in mainland China. And what I discovered and I've learned is that, to a large degree, this country is quite entranced with money and luxury items. They they, they love it. That's, That's where their culture is driving them. And this Christian man was in China, and people immediately saw him, and he stood out, and then when he opened his mouth, they heard his American accent, and Chinese people were coming up to him, asking him if he knew uh, Justin Bieber, um, personally, you know, uh, or did he know, you know, a particular sports star, or a particular Hollywood star, things like that. Um, he, he was told that uh, if you drove a BMW in Shanghai, uh, what that stood for, BMW, in China really meant, be my wife. So, if you have a BMW, you've got a good chance of maybe getting a, a, a girl. Uh, I, I thought about it, I'm like, when I married my wife, I was driving a 1987, uh, and I'm not married that long at all, uh, 1987 Pontiac 6000, which in China means you're a loser, I think, <laughs> something along those lines. And I'm told that uh, Chinese women are looking for Chinese men with the five C's. Cash, career, car, condo, and condition, meaning their bodies are perfect. This is what they're looking for. Listen, while all that's very interesting about China, that's not the most amazing thing at all. Here's what was most fascinating in all of that. In the middle of all, and I think it would be fair to say, what is just an insatiable appetite with money and a bit of a cash grab, and and I want the fancy car, and I want the big house, and all that stuff. This Christian man who was visiting China, he got to visit, honestly, um, Chinese followers of Jesus Christ. He got to visit the, the church, the underground church in China, people who follow Jesus in a country where really and truly, you really can't do that. You're, you're not allowed to do that. And one couple that he met were leading a house church, and that it had grown and grown so that there were actually several hundred people in this house church, and it just got shut down because it got so noticed, because it was, it was too big. He got to talking with one man from a province in China where people are mostly Muslim, and this individual left, you know, his Islamic um, family and tradition 
and his family pr- pretty much washed their hands of him, saying, like, you know, we will never look at you again. We will never talk to you again. We, we are going to sever all relationships with you in order for him to follow Jesus Christ. That was the sacrifice. And he was just bumping into people who were living for Jesus, but he was seeing very quickly that they were sacrificing at a level that he had never experienced before, sacrificing their careers or their finances, or perhaps even risking their physical safety. Like something bad is going to actually happen to them. Uh, and, and why? So that they could be in a community of men and women and children who follow Jesus Christ. What we're doing right here. This very gathering here. This thing that you would say, man, I am, I am a part of this body. I am a part of it. Uh, they were risking so much for that very thing. The most amazing thing that he saw in China was the church. Uh, and he actually got to preach uh, some Bible in China. He deliberately did not bring a Bible with him because he didn't know if he could get away with that. And when he told the Chinese individuals, like, I was afraid to bring my, my Bible, in a, in a lighthearted way, they just laughed at him because they truly knew the cost of what it meant to live for Jesus Christ. And as well-meaning as possible, he said, oh, I have a solution for you. And he really meant well by this. He says, well, I'm going to pray for you. And you would think, this is a good thing, right? Uh, This is what he said. I'm going to pray that it actually gets a little easier for you guys. I'm going to pray that the pressure that you're experiencing every day, that maybe that pressure would subside somewhat. I'm going to pray that you face fewer restrictions, the stuff that are getting in your way all the time. I'm going to pray that you will have greater safety over your lives. I'm going to pray that all of this opposition just goes away. And you won't believe what their response was to his solution. Don't pray that. Don't pray that. Don't pray that it gets easier. Pray that we get stronger. Pray that we become bolder. Pray that we we grow deeper in Jesus Christ. This is a place where government and schools formally and officially will promote atheism. There are over 1.4 billion people in China, and I'm telling you right now, not a single one of that 1.4 billion people are living for Jesus Christ because it makes their life in any way, shape, or form easier or more comfortable or more convenient. Not one of them. There's not one of them who are following Jesus Christ because, well, I'll know some Christians and that'll, you know, make my life, uh, I can network with those people, I can get along. None of that exists at all. There are zero benefits in China to following Jesus Christ with regards to your own well-being or your own safety. As a researcher in Purdue University, he estimates that there are currently, check this out, 80 million Christians living in that environment, just in China, 80 million. And that in 15 years, and you might ask yourself, how can this be? In 15 years from now, In China, there will be 245 million Christians in that environment. How can that blossom? How can that grow? How can can it be that others would find out in an environment like that where there's so much oppression and and risk and, and danger and restrictions? And that will mean that in 15 years from now, the single country on the planet Earth that has the most Christians in it will be China. It'll be getting close to the population of the United States of America. In other words, look at what God is doing. In perhaps one of the places on the planet where it is hardest to follow Him, look at what God is doing. Praise God. The strange thing about the church, 
I would say this to you deliberately at the beginning of a brand new year, is that the steeper the challenge and the higher the price and the greater the demand upon the church, the more noble the church becomes. The church is usually at its best when the world around it is at its worst. And then I thought about the obvious question. Where do you think it's harder to follow Jesus Christ? In China or in central Michigan? I want to tell you what the Bible says is our mission. I want to share with you what that means for you and what it means for me. God's plan A. God's plan for you, God's plan for me, God's plan for the church. Check this out. The thing about God's plan A is, honestly, uh, I've looked all over the Bible. I can't find a plan B anywhere. I don't know that God has a plan B. Here's his plan A, and here's your part in the plan. Psalm 78. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we do not hide them from their children. We will tell them, the next generation, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. We will tell the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Why would we do that? Why? Why would we tell of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, the, His wonders and His power? So that the next generation would know them. Even the children that are yet to be born, and that they in turn would tell their children that they would put their trust in God. Church, can you say amen to that? Amen. So we will take this truth. We will take this gospel. And just like the scripture says, we will utter these things from of old. These things that have been handed down to us from our fathers. And the idea that we would conceal that or hide that or not share that or not speak to other people about that is unthinkable, right? We, we, we can't do that. Somehow, somebody shared that with you. At some point in my life, somebody shared that with me. Maybe it was a friend or a colleague or a family member or a neighbor. Somebody at some point in your life had the courage to come up to you and to pray for you and to love you and care for you and invite you and show you or to live a life in front of you that somehow caught your attention. And I am going to do the same. And, I, and we as a church, we're going to do the same. This is the mission of the church. We exist for those who are not yet a part of us. And so we will tell our children. <laughs> this message of love and forgiveness is so important. It is of ultimate importance that we will look to upcoming generations in the future and we will say, this has completely changed and transformed our lives. Oh, oh, that this would change your life too. That's what we are about. That is our mission corporately. That is your mission individually. What if this year, this month, this week, you uttered this truth from of old? Something that was handed down to you. What if today you did that? What if in this season, your life saw a deliberate investment of discipleship into your children. Your kids, I promise you this, 
are hearing and being swayed by so much junk out there today. It's crazy, the amount of junk. What if your voice and your influence and your leadership was the sweetest, most potent influence in the life of your children, more than anything else out there? And that happened this year, this season of your life, this month, this week, today. Your, lo- your voice, the loving, greater influence that roots them and establishes them so that, just like the scripture said, they would put their trust in God. This was plan A, church. So, guess what we're never going to stop doing? We're never going to stop talking about Jesus. We're never going to stop learning about Jesus. We're never going to stop preaching about Jesus. We're never going to stop reading and studying Jesus, worshiping Jesus, thanking Jesus, pointing to Jesus, honoring Jesus. And when we come back next week, you're not going to believe what we're going to talk about. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. If you come back here 10 years, please God, if I'm standing here, no shock, I promise you this, I'm going to be talking to you about Jesus Christ again. I'm going to be drawing attention to Jesus and that you would do the same thing in the lives of people that you know and love and care about, or even in the lives of people who today are perfect strangers to you. Today I want to speak to you in maybe just, just a little bit, slightly more direct manner than I typically would on a Sunday. Uh, this message really is for just people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and that's not you, or you're just visiting, you're like, oh, I've never been to this church before, and I'm just checking things out, or I'm not even sure about the whole Christianity thing, um, then this message, maybe it's just one for you to listen to. I don't know that you'll be able to act upon it. But what I'm going to be doing, uh, particularly if you're new here, or you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, is honestly, I'm going to be showing you my cards I want to share some stuff with people who go to this church and who love Jesus uh, that will certainly show to you what we are about and what, what the tone of community church is and what my hopes and expectations are for you as a part of the body of Christ and what I pray that God is doing in and through you this year. So if you're new here, uh, just maybe just take it in. Uh, but if you've been around here for uh, any period of time, or you call this church your home church, this is, this is directly for you. So I want to illustrate this, if I can, uh, by using my, my little three chairs here. So um, I'm going to church, if that's okay, and uh, I'm going to sit down in my seat. This is my spot. How many of you have your spot? How many of you, you're like, yeah, this is where I sit. Don't be sitting in my spot. This is my spot, and uh, this is the present. And I'm really, this is actually very comfortable. I should preach like this more often. Um, This is the present right here. Uh, The reason why I'm here is because in the past, this is my buddy here. He sits beside me every week. We're buds. See, in the past, he he took the trouble to to care for me, and he went out of his way to, to pray for me and to show me, and to love me, and to care for me, and to invite me, and hey, I, I really think you need to come along here, and, and maybe you remember the first time you came to church, and, and I sat in my spot, and you sat in your spot, maybe it was way down the back, and, and you're like, I don't know about this, this is kind of different, this is kind of weird, I don't know if this is for me, you know, they're singing these songs, I don't know these songs, people have their hands up, you're like, man, people have a lot of questions around here, what's, what's, what's that about, I, I don't really know what to do with that, but here, here I am, this is my friend from the past, and he, and he I, I like it here. This is my spot. Here's where churches die. 
Here's where churches die. When they become two church, two chair churches. Because I got my buddy here, and I know him, and he knows me. And I, I, I like it here now, you know. Uh, I, I, know what, I know people, and I know the lay of the land. And I'm very comfortable here. This is my spot. And uh, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with everything. Let me show you pl- God's plan. It's this plan A for the church. There has to be an empty seat. There has to be a spot for somebody else. There has to be another opportunity. God doesn't have a plan B. This is God's plan. If this is the past, if this is the present, then we ought to be focused on, on the future. Let me show you the scripture that we read just a little bit earlier. Let's take another look at it again. And this is why. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders that He has done. To what end? So that then they would put their trust in God. This is God's plan A for the church. And it's right here sitting beside me. This is the next generation right here. And I've got to go out of my way to do for somebody else what was done for me. I've got to make sure that I'm going to go to the trouble of praying for and showing and say, hey, listen, we've got this series coming up and I just really think this is going to be a huge help to you and your family and I want you to know that I'm praying for you and why don't you guys come with me and we'll go to lunch afterwards and we'll hang out and it's going to be a little different but I really want you to check this out. Would you do that? That's the plan. That's what we've got to be about. And if ever the day comes and sometimes like church just gets packed, this packed in, in, on all our campuses where there's like, there's no seats uh, what, what am I going to do when there's no seats? I, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I don't have to have my spot anymore. Somebody else can sit here. I'm happy to stand. I'll just go in the back. Man, Christmas Eve, I was so bummed that weather, man. I was so bummed. Uh, there were so many uh, individuals here who were, had prepared a wonderful Christmas Eve service. And praise God, we got to have it online and everything. But the weather was lousy. And uh, it, it was a bummer not to be able to meet together. But about a week before the Christmas Eve service, I, I shot an email to the leaders in the church. And it went to the staff and the elders and I think maybe the trustees and the deacons. These are the leaders in our church. And, and I, I think the subject of the email that I sent was, I think it was dumpster parking. <laughs> and I was, like, I was trying to get their attention. And it basically said, hey, we've got Christmas Eve services coming up, and I, I want you to park. And in Mount Pleasant, in the Mount Pleasant campus, pretty much the furthest parking spot from the building is by the dumpster, which is way over here, if I'm pointed in the right direction. Um, it's the dumpster. And so what I'm basically saying is, leaders, you get to park by the dumpster. That's where I want you. I want you in the dumpster. <laughs> That's where you guys get to park. And then I said, um, you know, the services get packed uh, and there's just no room. We'll have overflow for the campuses and all that different stuff. And I said, but there, there may come a moment where there's just no seats left. And I said, I, 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 we made up a number and we're going to put on, you know, that little screen that we have for the kids who misbehave. If you ever do that, it's the walk of shame. You have to go get your kid. Uh, you know, <laughs> the kids are having a hard time and they're crying. So we put the number up and I was like, okay, here's a special number. If we flash that number, here's what, what does it mean? My, my seat is not my seat anymore. And what I loved, what I loved about it is that every email that I got back from a leader in this church was like, heck yeah, I'm parking by the dumpster. That's what it was. Every, everyone was like, I don't need a seat. I love that. No problem. I'll stand in the back. I'll go to overflow. I'll stand out in the lobby. I'll go into a different room. No problem. I'm happy to do that. This culture of leadership in our church, I found myself just blown away by the leaders here who are like, they, and I'll tell you what it was. It was this. 
I'm happy to wash feet. I'm happy to wash feet. And what they were doing is they were making sure that it's not a two-chair church, that there's always room for more people. Making sure every time that that's the case. So, so what are we going to do? <laughs> well, we're going to preach Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's what we're going to do in 2023. We're going to love Jesus Christ. And we're going to live for him. This church will be a Jesus-centered Jesus-focused, Jesus-loving church committed to the next person and the next child and the next marriage and the next hurting person and the next homeless person or the next addicted person or the next lonely or broken person, the next man or woman or child who needs Jesus Christ, people in these seats that we pray that God will now do a work as we serve and we wash feet and we park by the dumpster, as we sacrifice and we persevere and we give up and we make the risk and we do all of those things so that we would remain a church that is not so much about, well, look at us, or we've got a lot of people coming to our church, we've got buildings, or we've got numbers, or any of that stuff, but rather that we would be a people who would say, actually, we just want to be a people who have humble hearts, who have our eyes on Jesus Christ, and we care more, and you can't say this in every church, we care more about the future than we care about the past, amen? Praise God for the past. Praise God for today. We will worship God today. But we care more about the future than we care about what happened 10 years ago or 40 years ago because God is doing new things. And we want to be a part of those things. So here's what I want to lay out in the few remaining minutes that I have. I want to give to followers of Jesus Christ four things that I want to set a tone for us to say this is what we are going to be about as a local church. Number one, invite. No surprise that I'm going there. Number one, I want you doing exactly what we just talked about. Most of the time, most of the time, the gospel gets passed on one person at a time. And you're here because somebody, somewhere, did that for you. Do you want to come with me? Hey, we got this series coming up. I think it'd be great. You can sit beside me and my family. Yeah, I'll show you around. There's no problem. At this church, we've always got a place for you. We've got a place for you to come. I want, I want to ask you a question right now. And actually, I'm going to ask for like a little bit of like a raising of the hand in just a, a second. Like all our campuses. How many of you right now would say that there is somebody in your life, and I really mean this, St. John's, Alma, Mount Pleasant Online, just gives a show of hands. How many of you right now would say you've got somebody in your life whose spiritual well-being you're, you're concerned about right now? Now, just keep your hands up for just a second, and would you actually have a look around the room? It's 90, 95% of the room. Maybe 99% of the room. There's somebody who's in your life, and you're concerned about their spiritual well-being. Having a chair for the person who does not know God makes churches come alive. It changes even when you go to church. Some of you already know this because you've reached out and you prayed and you invited and then they showed up and you're like, oh, wow, they actually came. This is fantastic. And the day comes and they walk through the door and you go up and you give them a, a handshake and you're hoping, man, I hope they bump into like the nicest people in our church, the most welcoming people. And you're like, come on over here. Let's grab a cup of coffee. Let me show you around. And then you come into the, into the auditorium and you're like, man, I, I just, I want the worship 
worship to be, to be so powerful today because my friend is here. It's like you're looking at things all different. And then you're like, the pastor gets up to preach. You're like, dude, you better not mess it up, man. You better preach a good one. This better be half decent because my friend needs this. And all of a sudden what you realize is like the stakes the stakes have just gone up for you because it's not you walking in here as a consumer. It's you saying, man, I'm concerned for the next generation and they need Jesus Christ. You realize this is life or death for them. Matthew chapter 5, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. Amen, church? We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your, with your lives. By opening up to others, you prompt people to open up to God, this generous Father in heaven. God is not a secret to be kept. And when there's somebody that you care about, whose, spe- whose spiritual well-being you're concerned about, you take that step and you invite. And I'm telling you, God works. Number two, be generous. Be hugely generous with your life. And I'm, ta- I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your life. Be generous with your life. What if 2023 was the most generous year of your life ever? Instead of Netflix stealing precious hours and hours and hours of your life, what if you invested in gospel or in care or in life-changing words like, I'm going to speak this way, I'm going I'm to invest in appreciation or in giving financially or in discipling other people or giving attention to people who need it or loving people who are a part of my life. And I'm telling you right now, that is an unregrettable way to spend your life or to spend your year. 12 months from now, you will look back over your shoulder and you will have no regrets about that kind of investment that God created in you, that kind of generosity. Last November, we launched an initiative in this church, and we'll talk about it more in 2023, because it's a two-year initiative, and we nicknamed it Elevate. It's just an exciting initiative full of, chocked full of God plans and kingdom plans. We're launching a church, making disciples, starting foster and adoption supports teams, taking the gospel into a place in the world where Jesus Christ is a complete unknown and a complete stranger, adopting children in poverty, underwriting local church ministry for children, teenagers, college students, groups, worship. And I pray that God releases you, and I say this unapologetically, I pray God releases you into supernatural generosity to support and bless the work of the ministry. The Bible speaks very plainly about generosity, Romans chapter 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in according with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it, is to, if it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So that we don't live in the land of theory, I've got one or two more things I want to share. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to give you the most practical way to actually do these things. So this isn't like, oh, great sermon, pastor, I agree. And then we walk out and we don't act on it. So I'll, I'll, I'll present that in just a moment. Number three, I would encourage you to connect. People will come to this church if they are invited, but I'll tell you a secret. They will stay in this church 
if they have friendships and relationships. They stay because they have some friends. Check this out. There's a sociologist by the name of Robert Putnam, and he found that if you, if you joined a small group in a church, a community group, a little group of people, somebody's house, somebody's living room, check this out. If you do nothing else healthy, so like if you don't change your eating habits, if you don't start exercising, but all you do is join a community group of some friends, it cuts your odds of dying in half in the next year. Check that out. So our new motto for uh, community groups is join, we're going to put this on a t-shirt, join a community group or die. <laughs> I think that could go places. <laughs> Jesus', Jesus is praying his heartfelt prayer in John chapter 17. He's talking to his father. And he's like, Father, I'm not going to be here on earth for much longer. He's praying to his father. Father, I'm going to be coming home. I'm going to be with you again. We're going, to be, uh, we're going to be one. I'm coming home, Dad. I'm not going to be staying in this place much longer. This is what he says in verse 11. Holy Father, protect them. It's actually what he's praying for you. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. It's really short. Let me read it again. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave to me, so that they may be one as we are one. This is what Jesus is talking about you. So in a very real sense, the father and the son, while Jesus was on his ministry on, on, the, on the earth, in a very u- unique manner, it, they had not quite, it, it just was a little different. And therefore Jesus is saying, like, I'm returning to you. I'm coming back. I'm not going to be staying here much longer. We're father and son. We're one. We're completely together. We're completely unified. <clears throat> being with my father, being at one with him, like that's what I want for you. And so I'm going to pray in my powerful name that you would have that kind of connection with the father. I'm going to pray, and it's so interesting the language here. And he says, in your name, but it's also the name that you gave me. All, uh, we have this shared name. I'm praying for you in this powerful name. And I'm praying, God, that you would have this closeness and intimacy and connectedness and relationship and knowing and complete unity with your Father in the context of the body of Christ, just like I do with my Father. I know that there are people in this church. And here's the truth about you. You are on the edges of this church. You are. And I I want more for you than that. You come and go, and praise God that you come and go, but nobody knows you. Or very, very few people would actually say that they know you. I don't want that for you. More importantly, I don't think Jesus wants that for you. He wants for you this incredible thing that he has with the Father. There are other people here, and... You come and you go, but you do know a few people, and maybe you help out a little bit, but the truth is you still keep people at a distance. And this year, he wants to give you the gift that he has with his father. And I want you to hear this very carefully, because I really don't mean to be overly sentimental at all. I believe this biblically and lovingly. I want to say to you that you belong here. You have a part to play in the body of Christ in this local church. We would not be the same without you. 
And you have something to give and to contribute into the family of God and into the community of God. This is a genuine invitation for you to pull up a chair up to the family kitchen table. Last one, number four. Serve God with your life. I'm calling every single follower of Jesus Christ to get off the bench and to get in the game. Every one of you. There are opportunities both inside the house of God and outside of the house of God for you to roll up your sleeves. Whether it's rocking a baby or playing a guitar or praying for somebody or getting into the life of a fifth grader and a sixth grader. I heard a statistic the other day uh, that said a teenager will take root in a local church only if they have a relationship with three adults that are not their mom and dad. Somebody that they know and love and know, they know that this person cares for me. Three adults, that's not mom and dad, because mom and dad don't count. Getting into the life of a fifth grader or a sixth grader. Or maybe it's leading a group or making coffee or welcoming people or keeping the building secure, especially for the children. Or whether it's going to celebrate recovery so that you can get to know people and love on them and care for them. Or maybe it's outside of the house of God where you're bringing in household items to the care store, diapers and toothpaste and toilet roll and deodorant. Or you're actually just going to disciple young men and young women in your living room. I'm calling you into the game, whatever it looks like. And the temptation to think, particularly at community church, I know this for a fact, there is a temptation in this local church to think, I'm going to sit in my seat, I'm going to watch things happen around the church, and uh, it kind of looks to me like they got things covered. It, that's, that's a massive temptation in our local church. And I'm going to be really honest with you, post-COVID, there are huge opportunities, and I mean this, on every single ministering team in our local church, in all of our campuses, every single team, there are massive opportunities where you could be a massive sense of blessing and bring contribution into the house of God. And I would challenge you to get off the bench and to get in the game. You'll be amazed what happens to you when you come to church with a greater heart to give than to receive. It changes a Sunday. I don't really know how that works. I don't even really know how it works. But God knows how it works. Because you move into ministry areas where you realize, man, in order for this to actually mean anything or to impact anybody's life or for transformation to take place at all, like God's got to be a part of me doing this thing that I'm doing to serve and to love him. If it's going to make any difference at all. Let me wrap up with the same scripture that we started with. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders that He has done. Why would we do that, church? So the next generation would know them, even their children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children why. Then they would put their trust in God. Could you put the QR code up on the screen? Everything that I've spoken about today lives in the land of theory. Uh, or you just kind of nod your head and go, yeah, you know, that's, that sounds about right. Yeah, amen. Uh, but what I would encourage you to do is to come before the Lord and say, Lord, how can I be obedient to anything that I've heard today? 
to uttering things from of old, to passing on, to making sure the next generation, to making sure that this seat is always here and that I'm a part of that, to being generous and to serving and to giving all of these pieces, to belonging, connecting. And the pragmatic way to do that is there are cards in all of our campuses where you can fill out and say, here's how I'd like to serve. Or I don't even know how I want to serve, but I'm available. Here's how I'd like to connect. We have a connect card and we have a, we have a serve card. And I, could I ask you, if you want to respond to the Holy Spirit today, would you fill that out and say, I'm available. Sign me up. I'm here. I want to get into a group. I'm not going to be on the edges anymore. I'm happy to help out. I can make coffee. I can show up. I can, whatever it is. Uh, and if you don't want the piece of paper, you can just use the QR code. Just take a snapshot of that or a snap of that on your phone and that'll bring you to all of those opportunities. Church, I pray that you are on mission. I pray that this year we are on mission. I pray our church together is on mission. I pray that we will never lose sight of what God has called us to, what he's told us to do, what obedience looks like to be close to the Father. I pray God floods your life with divine appointments and opportunities to invite others and to be generous and to know other people and to be known by other people and to serve other people. Let's pray together. God, we are not praying today that you just make things easier. We are not praying today that, Lord, would you just make the world a little bit nicer to us. Today we pray for boldness and strength and courage to live for you, to represent you powerfully and beautifully and skillfully. And we ask you for the lost. We ask you for people that need care and love. We ask you for broken marriages to be brought into the family of God so that they can be mended and restored. We ask you for addicts who would be on the receiving end of unconditional love from this family. We ask you for opportunities in our communities to be a lighthouse for the gospel. And I pray blessings this year over all of our campuses in St. John's, in Alma, in Mount Pleasant, and online. I pray this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Can we wrap up our first service this year by standing and let's give him honor and praise and glory.